0: Welcome to Power Talk with Caitlin Power. I'm Caitlin, a certified clinical hypnotherapist who helps you clear out the BS subconscious beliefs that have been keeping you from reaching your goals. And I show you how to upgrade your identity into the most confident, fulfilled you that you were always meant to be. So, if you're ready to stop playing small and join transformative conversations around mindset, manifestation, business, wellness, and hear from the it girls that are out there living their dream lives, I'm so excited to have you here. Let's get started. Today's guest is Marissa Moyer. Marissa is a corporate rebel, former culture director, and current people, skills, and influence coach. She spent 10 years in corporate America observing power dynamics transforming company culture, and figuring out what makes someone authentically and sustainably influential. She now teaches high-performing professionals how to overcome confidence issues in the workplace and become office influencers, no matter what their job title is. So if you're ready to become the it girl of the office, keep listening. Hey, Marissa, welcome to Power Talk. Hi, Caitlin. How's it going? I know it's going so good. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I feel like My listeners are going to benefit so much from hearing from you.
1: Yes, I am so excited to be on your podcast. I was just telling you, um, I love the way that you approach manifestation. I think that everything that you say is just so grounded in actual research and science, and it's really, really helpful for people. So I'm really excited to talk about it today in more of a work context.
0: Thank you so much. That means the world. I really appreciate it. And that's exactly why I wanted to have you on because every time I'm watching your content, I'm like, yes, 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 yes. yes. So if you're not following Marissa, go follow her after you listen to this podcast because her content is so good, especially from someone that was in a nine to five in the corporate world for so long. And that dealt with a lot of the topics that you talk about and really help people through, which brings me to my first question. Can you just tell us about what you do, who you help?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I specialize in working with people who self-identify as high performers at work. And most specifically, people who identify as high performers but know that their confidence does not match their work product for some reason. And that can oftentimes be the biggest blocker from someone being able to elevate kind of beyond just a high performer status and to someone that I like to call an, a true office influencer.
0: How would someone know if they're a high performer? Is it because of the work that they're presenting to their company or how do they know?
1: Yeah. I mean, usually high performers, they're they're getting the praise, they're getting the feedback, They know that they are delivering in their numbers, at least, that the actual execution of their job duties, they are doing
0: very well. And what's the missing link, do you think? Is it that they have imposter syndrome? Is it just a lack of confidence? Do they feel like when they get that praise from their boss or their coworkers, they just don't believe it? Or what's that missing link?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's it a lot of times, but there there are a couple of differences between high performers and office influencers that I like to talk about. So some of the biggest mistakes that someone who is a high performer at work can make is oftentimes I find that they are really, really focused on their own lane. You know, they have figured something out in their job lane. That's why they're doing so well and they're doing it really well, but they're really zeroed in on that and they haven't learned yet how to kind of think beyond their own lane and how to kind of think about the business in a more holistic sense. The second mistake that they often make is undervaluing the people part. I get a lot of people who really undervalue the people part and find that they are kind of bitter about the fact that they're not more influential, even though they are objectively producing good work. But at the end of the day, we're social creatures, you know, so you can you can be upset about it, but you do need to uh, master the people part of relationships at work. So there's that. And then, so, you know, a high performer is going to have a smaller scope of influence than an office influencer. A high performer is going to be focused on creating value in their own narrow lane versus creating value for people beyond their lane and therefore influencing other people. they be more focused on the hard skills for their job instead of those soft skills.
0: I feel like that really clarified for me the difference between a high performer and an office influencer. Can you talk more about what an office influencer is and why that's something that you would want to step into?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my definition of an office influencer is an individual who exhibits the power to shape people's opinions to shape important decisions in the workplace, and oftentimes just influence the overall direction of the workplace. And my favorite part of this definition is that that is regardless of their job title or their place in the hierarchy. So they are able to exert this level of influence no matter where they are. I'm talking an office influencer could be down to the intern, okay? And they can do this because they have a powerful combination of high-performance, genuinely good work product, as well as referent power, which I talk about a lot in my content.
0: Yeah, I love when you talk about referent power. (laughs) For those who have not been your content yet, what is referent power? So referent power is the type
1: of power that you get from people genuinely liking, trusting, and respecting you. So when you are high in referent power... There's there's not a whole lot of work to be done. This is why I really don't like to teach those human hacks and psychology hacks and all of that stuff. Because when you are high in referent power, people want to be influenced by you. They genuinely admire you. They genuinely like what you're about, the
0: way that you carry yourself, the way that you approach
1: things. And they want to be a part of whatever you're a part of.
0: So basically what you're saying is referent power is what a typical social media influencer has, right? Or a celebrity. And you can have referent power in your office workplace.
1: Maybe. I mean, some, some celebrities or influencers might... Present referent power over camera might not be very high in referent power in real life. That's why we hear these horror stories of, oh, I had a run in with so and so and he was horrible. (laughs) You know?
0: Yeah, Um, that's fair. But at least they present to their audience, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because it's what gets people to want to listen to what you have to say, respect what you're saying, and ultimately in the workplace, be getting promotions and achieving the goals that you want in your career, right? Yeah, exactly. So how does someone increase their referent power? So
1: everything that I do and that I work with is based on referent power, and it always starts with self-awareness. And the thing that I find... That is difficult for people is because a lot of people talk about self awareness, but they don't really define what exactly does that mean in the professional context. There are two different types of self awareness. There's internal self awareness, and then there is external self awareness. Most people believe that they are very, very high in self awareness, like they really feel that, and that's called the Dunning Kruger effect. Like we always feel like we are just the mo- we are at the top of the game, and we're so much better than other people in that area. But I find that most people are actually pretty low in internal self-awareness, meaning they don't actually know what do I truly value. You know, if you don't explicitly and and most people have a really vague idea, right? They're like, well, you know, I know right and wrong when I see it. Like, I, I know what's acceptable to me and what's not. But then you come up on these situations in life where you have to make a decision where it would be a lot easier if you actually explicitly knew what your values were. Having a deep understanding of your aspirations and where you want to go in life and all of that. A lot of us are just kind of drifting through with very, very vague ideas about these things. And so when we're in that state, we end up in a place where we are often looking to others. We don't know what our values are. We don't know what we really stand for with our whole chest. So we're looking to others for signals about what it's okay to stand for. And that's when we get in our desperate energy in the workplace. And you talk about that a lot. And I talk about it a lot too, because it's really, really important when you are trying to develop your personal brand at work, you want to be mindful of that desperate energy and staying out of it. And then external self-awareness is, of course, what most people think is being highly aware of how your behavior impacts other people. And I find that with people who are really underconfident in the workplace, they often think that they're super, super self-aware and just so mindful of other people's emotions, but they don't realize that some of the things that they're doing are actually very self-centered and are actually making other people quite uncomfortable.
0: Wow. Can you talk more about that? Like what kind of examples you're talking about?
1: So, you know, when people are really underconfident, like I said, we're in that state of always looking to others for approval about things. So one of the biggest mistakes that I see people making when they're actually actively undermining themselves in the workplace. So we've all got our personal narrative going on internally, right? these stories and ideas that we're always repeating to ourselves. Oh, I'm not good at this. Oh, this is not my strength. Oh, this is not something that I'm naturally good at, so this is not for me. So then we actually end up broadcasting those insecurities to other people. We tell them, "Oh, you know, I'm things that that seem funny and cute in the moment are actually coping mechanisms and are actually us trying to protect ourselves by broadcasting the insecurity first before someone else can point it out. That's just classic, right? But when you constantly tell other people, oh, I'm a mess. Oh, you know, I'm just such an idiot. Please ignore me. Or you know that I'm not good at this type of thing. When you're putting yourself down, you're actually, if you think about it, putting the the person that you're saying that to In an awkward position because imagine that you're on the other end of that. How do you respond to that? How does it make you feel when someone puts themselves down to you? You really have two main options to respond. Number one, you now have to expend emotional energy to reassure that person. So they've just kind of put an emotional burden on you to reassure them and make them feel better. Number two is also not a good option because really the only other option they would have is to agree with you. Yeah. yeah. You are an idiot. Right. <laughs> and Caitlin, its I've actually seen this in action multiple times. What that can do is actually activate a bully behavior from the other person if they refuse to expend the emotional energy to reassure you. So I've seen people kind of be activated by this and and actually go ahead and agree with you. Be like, yeah, you are an idiot yeah, buddy, you sure are. Yeah. and now You just kind of activated this behavior in someone that you really, it was the last thing that you wanted to do. Be mindful of of the position that you're actually putting the other person in when you undermine yourself like that.
0: Right. And in a professional environment, that's very uncomfortable and it's not their responsibility to make you know who you are. And I always say, we are the stories we tell ourselves. Like if you say a story, You put it out there, you become that story, especially if you're repeating it, especially if then, like you said, oh, someone else agrees with you and you go, oh, wait, okay, so I actually am an idiot. Cool. Good to know. You are acting as an idiot, attracting situations where you would feel stupid or you'd feel embarrassed or ashamed. And then that just keeps manifesting, manifesting, manifesting. So thank you for that example. Because I think a lot of people are not aware, like you said, and don't even realize they're doing this. And this might be an aha moment, even though it's a little like tough love of, oh, I've been doing that.
1: Yeah. And it's so true. And, and what you talk about in your content, you talk about the energetics a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talk about the energy a lot, but people, other people sense when you put yourself in a position beneath them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I I say this, when I say this, it's out of tough love, but it's also out of it should be relieving and empowering to people because you actually have a lot more control over how other people treat you than you think. So, if you've been in this space, and you'd be surprised at how many of my clients have explicitly told me, I don't feel equal to other people. When you broadcast that, other people sense that. And then you put yourself into a position where the other person actually feels bad for you. That's not a place that you want to be in, in an interaction. No. I started talking, I posted about this the other day, but... Dan Sullivan who is a very well-known uh, performance coach specifically for entrepreneurs but it applies in the professional workplace as well. He has a mindset called always be the buyer. This is a really really useful tool for many people who are struggling with confidence because they are always kind of putting themselves in this position where they feel that they need permission from other people. They're looking for that validation and for that approval and for permission from other people to operate at their best. When you are in your buyer energy, you don't need permission because you are the discerner in the exchange or in the interaction. You are evaluating the other person's behavior, energy, vibe and you are determining if that meets your standards. When you're in your seller energy, that's the desperate energy. That's when you're like, "Oh my gosh, do you do you like me? Are you okay with what I did? Is that okay?" I think being in your buyer energy at work, especially if you are a high performer, understanding what you bring to the table, how much power and leverage that actually gives you in your relationship with your employer. Of course, your employer wants you to think that you have less power and leverage than you actually do. But at the end of the day, employers want high performers, right? They, you know, they're, they're actually w- usually willing to do a lot more for the people who are doing the best work for them than they would
0: let on. A hundred percent. And I think that even applies to an interview process. When you're in an interview, you're saying if you want to work for that company too, people get so nervous to the point where they're shaking and can't even speak and be themselves because they're thinking this person needs to like me. This person needs to want me to work for their company. But you're equally wondering, do I want to work for this person? (laughs) Do I want to work for this company and the type of people that work here?
1: Yes. And it's the exact same in dating. I had this realization in my 20s when I was dating, I used to get exactly like that. I would before a date, I would just get so overwhelmingly nervous. I would be shaking and all of this stuff and I'd be thinking thoughts like I hope he likes me. I hope he likes me. And that realization what you just said, at one point just hit me like a train. All of a sudden, I was just like what what about me liking him? Like <laughs> what that's actually what's going on here is me just I mean it should be mutual, of course. But if I don't like what's going on, I don't go back for a second date. And after having that realization, my life changed because I started applying it to the professional realm as well. It's really huge just how much your mindset can affect your presence at work. And that is the softer part that I feel like so many people have a really hard hard time mastering and figuring out. So.
0: totally it's the energetics of it it really is whether you're in that desperate energy of looking for the validation from others you did a great job you're great at your job needing to hear that versus you know that you're great at your job and if you don't even feel like you're great at your job obviously there's work to do there but no one has it all figured out no one fully knows what they're doing i've been at workplaces for you know 5 years and i was a top performer i had the office influencer saying And I still was working with engineers where I'm like, I don't even know what they're saying, (laughs) but I can do my part of my job well, even though I don't know, I'm not an engineer. I don't know what that means about the you know voltage of the electronics that they're working on. And that's fine. No one ever has it fully figured out where they know every single little thing. It's just knowing like what you bring to the table. And if you need to fake it until you make it because you were hired at that job, they obviously saw that you are willing to perform. Believe that know that. And day by day, you'll become more confident and you can become that office influencer where other people look to you.
1: Exactly. Exactly what you just said. And realizing that it's also very okay in the work environment to admit when you don't know something. In fact, most people appreciate that because there are so many people out there who are trying to, in a bad way, fake it till they make it with the confidence part and just not admitting when they've come up against a a current limitation. So when you have a growth mindset, you can look at something and be like, okay, So this is not something I know anything about right now. Teach me or let's figure this out together. You tackle it with a growth mindset that shows so much more humility, so much more self-awareness, so much more psychological safety. And all of those are really huge parts of being someone at work that people feel good around. They feel like you're not going to bullshit them, you know? So yeah, I totally agree with that.
0: I love that you said that because yeah, there's so many times that I said, I have no idea what you're talking about right now can you break this down? And I think that builds a trust with your coworkers too. It's like, oh, she didn't know. I told her that's fine. Rather than going to do the job, which you don't know how to do. And you obviously aren't going to do it right if you don't know what you're doing. And then it's like, well, then why didn't you tell me there's a lack of trust there? It's like a trust was broken because you could have just been honest.
1: Exactly. And it's a vulnerability thing. You know, people who are really in that underconfident or seller energy, don't feel comfortable truly being vulnerable in those situations. And there can be a balance. You know, sometimes we we veer too much into the vulnerability and we're oversharing. But there's also this other end where you're not showing any vulnerability. And that's not relatable. That's not real. That's not safe. And I think that a lot of people who struggle with that don't think of it that way. They don't think I'm being an unsafe person right now. They're self-absorbed in a different way. That's not really alerting them to the fact that you're impacting other people with this self-protecting behavior right now. That's
0: not very helpful. Wow. I feel like I just had my mind blown with that. I do love that. Yeah. Yeah. That really hits. I think you are making people feel unsafe. Yeah. That's really interesting. And I love how you said that you basically were saying people sleepwalk through their lives, not realizing what it is that they actually want, because that's something I talked about a lot. And I was that person where I was just climbing the corporate ladder, not knowing, because that's what everyone does, not thinking, okay, am I actually really happy here? And it's like, well, okay, I'll be happy when I have that promotion Okay, I'll be happy when I have that title that makes me feel important. And I got all those things I was making more money than I ever thought I would at the age I was at. But it's like, is this even making me happy? I'm just doing, I'm just going through the motions. And then you start to look at other people, like you were saying, people get bitter because they're looking at other people being like, why aren't you giving me what I want when you don't even know what it is that you want? How would they know?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's destination thinking what you just described. And I used to be the queen of destination thinking. I think to have goals and a general direction is good, but when you put everything on reaching that destination and you're not having a growth mindset in the moment, when you approach you know, that with some flexibility and say, okay, you know, I've got a plan, but I'm also open to what is going to happen to me. I'm open to what the world brings. You don't know what you don't know. And sometimes you don't know that you're going to be really, really into something until you're just exposed to it, especially in the professional world. So I tell people, I tell my clients when I coach them on certain career advancement strategies, I say, okay, so you don't know exactly where you want to go right now. That's fine. We're going to you know, pick a couple of things that you're going to pour some energy into doing really, really well at. And in that, you might find out maybe you've got a whole new path. Having an all roads lead to Rome mentality can really just end you up in some spectacular places. And I feel like that's what happened to me. So it's just crazy that when I started, you know, I graduated in anthropology, I was studying human culture. And I thought that I wanted to join the Peace Corps and all of this stuff. And I was just so filled with enthusiasm and purpose. And I graduated college and reality kind of set in, I ended up getting what I felt at the time was a soulless corporate job. And I spent five years there. But what I'm doing right now, I am absolutely obsessed with And I draw upon that first five years of my career every single day. And I am so thankful, Caitlin, for everything that happened, all of the bad stuff, because it informs everything that I do now. So when I look back and I and I really kind of reframe everything that I went through in an all roads lead to Rome mentality, I'm so glad that my life went the way it did.
0: Absolutely. I have a very similar history, not in the exact details, but in the way that I didn't fully know what I wanted to do. And I just followed my intuition through what I thought. And a lot of it too, I think was the society, like what would be cool to work here or kind of thinking in that I was in that mindset of that would feel good for my ego's sake, you know, and I followed that like I graduated with my degree in screenwriting. And so I went and worked in the film and television industry for several years. And I worked at a film studio and then I went to working for a actress and flying around the world with her going to New York fashion week and this and that. And even my internships, I did the talent agency. I, went to the Cannes Film Festival, worked there. So I was following every little thing, not knowing exactly what I wanted to do, just knowing I loved writing, I loved film, and I loved television and following that. And then I had so many experiences with bosses that really did not treat me well or my other coworkers where it kept happening and I got into this pattern. It was like, okay, this pattern keeps happening. How do I do a pattern interrupt? How do I break this cycle? So then I went out of the industry and started working for an engineering company, for an electric vehicle company, and I was treated really well. And from there, then I'm like, okay, I'm being treated well. I really liked it for a while, but then realizing like this doesn't light my soul on fire, you know, and Mm -hmm. finding eventually hypnotherapy and now I'm a hypnotherapist and a content creator. So it's so funny when people don't know what they want to do, like don't let it paralyze you just take the first step of this is exciting, do this, and then just follow your breadcrumbs.
1: Exactly. I had no idea that that was your history. That's really interesting.
0: Yeah, no, I think when people find me on Instagram or whatever, and then they're like, wait, what you started? Where, what were you doing? Because yeah, it just, it doesn't make any sense, which is my point that it doesn't need to make sense. You don't have to follow, start here and you get promoted to this and you do this and follow all the logical steps. It's just following your intuition where you're led to. And then when something's not right, where you're having a cycle like that, that's, I believe in God, but God, universe, spirit guides, whatever you believe in telling you, no, 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 no. Like this isn't it. This keeps happening. This isn't right. So do something different. And then I would do something different and think, okay, this part of it's right, but I'm still not feeling lit up here. And then finding hypnotherapy. I would have never known to find hypnotherapy.
1: Exactly. And I think all of what you're saying really aligns with a mindset of seeing things as happening for you instead of to you, that mindset shift, I think I came across that a couple of years ago, and it really helped me reframe. And that's the great thing. Even if you are currently in a place where you are not able to see your past as as anything positive, it's still really haunting you. It's still dragging you down. You can actually look at things in your past retroactively and reframe them. And make them mean something different to you now. And that's a big part of the work that I do is helping people reframe. We really work from the foundation in figuring out, so what are those beliefs that you hold about yourself that are contributing to this imposter syndrome? How can we reframe the way that you're looking at some of these things and actually release you from the cage that you feel like it's been keeping you in, which is very real, but the actual limitation that you see is not necessarily objective truth and i think that a lot of us approach it as if it is objective truth
0: along the lines of what you're saying is i think people can look at their time and think oh that was wasted time and regret it and they're holding on to it in that way and it's not wasted time because of all the experiences everything that you grew into but also knowing that you have all these you know i was a project manager and executive assistant like all these things that don't apply to what i do now but if I was ever led to do something like that again, I have all that experience, A. And B, I know that I would have regretted not going for a job in film and television. If I never tried it, I would have been, what if, what if? And so you know, if something's a no, well, okay, I still, I have friends from those jobs that I'll have for my, for life too. And I have all those experiences And I know that I did it and I know it wasn't for me, but if I wouldn't, I would always be feeling what if, what if, what if I know I would. So just following your nudges and being able to say, that's not time wasted, like nothing's ever time wasted. And I think everything that we're led to, we were supposed to get there. That was a stop along the way, but I think, yeah, really just not regretting any time because it got you to where you were and that's perfect.
1: Absolutely. And it was a huge part of forming the very unique skill set and experience set and way that you approach your work now. I mean, all of those experiences just form the completely unique person that is us. And so when we're talking about interviewing for, you know, even if you're changing industries or go trying to jump into something new, you are completely and 100% unique because of those things that you did before. I remember when I got first hired for that that first professional job I got out of college, Like a lot of people, of course, I had been waiting tables and all of that. And they asked me about my experience waiting tables in the service industry. And I thoroughly prepared before I went in there to, because I didn't have any professional work experience. I was like... I'm going to show how this applies. And it was all about, I know how to tailor my services and my approach based on the client, because we had a lot of regulars at the bar that I worked at, and they always wanted things different. And I really framed it in a way that showed like, these are still skills. I don't care that I was just, just waiting tables. These are skills that I can apply to a totally different environment. So I think when you look at it, look at it that way, Nothing is time wasted ever.
0: Never. And you saying that, I remember reading Sandra Bullock, I think it was, said she believes everyone on planet Earth should wait tables at some time in life because of the skill set that it gives you.
1: 100%. I would never take it back. And yeah, I wish that everyone would have to experience either uh, waiting tables or retail or just the hospitality industry at some point in their life, because some of these people would not be out here treating other people like this if they knew what it was like to work in a
0: soul-sucking position like that at some point. She said what she said. (laughs) I also want to say one of my friends was, she went, I think it was therapy she went to school for and then went and did a graduate program too. So spent all this time and money. On one career path, literally had just graduated and started working in the career and realized it just was not for her. And she really struggled with that. All the money that she spent, I think her parents obviously had helped her with school and she just really struggled with this isn't what I wanted to do and look at all this time and money wasted But she was still brave enough to go and she's in interior design. That's what was really lighting her up. And she was really scared to have to go out there with no experience. She's just been in school this whole time and it ended up completely working out. She's absolutely killing it now. She did an entry level job, but now she's climbed up. She loves it. So it's really something that if you feel an inkling of, I really, really wish I was doing this, but I can't because I spent all this time and energy doing this other thing don't let that hold you back because I want to also bring up, I saw this TikTok a few years back and it was an older gentleman that was stitching a video with someone saying something along the same lines that we're talking about of, I went to school for this and I'm too scared to give it all up for this. And he said, I felt that exact same way. I went to school to become a a lawyer, went to law school. And I felt that same way after graduating law school In my first law job, I hated it hated it and did not want to continue. But I thought I can't because of all this money and time I put into it. So I worked for the next 20 years on this job, hating it every day of my life. And his message was... Quit it. Don't do it. Do what you want to do. I wish I would have not spent my whole life doing this, which it was like so sad, but so inspiring. You know, you really just have to live your life for you. And he said, I would have rather wasted those years that he was in law school and undergrad and everything that he had spent rather wasted that time than waste 20 years. Plus he's still a lawyer doing something I hate every day of my life.
1: That's really powerful. I mean, to do that for such a significant portion of your life. And you know, that made me think of something, Kaylin, because a lot of people don't think to use this tool that way. But if you are in this position, and you are dreaming of doing something different, and you just cannot see how what you're doing now or what you're doing previously could ever set you up for success in this area that you really want to be in, use chat GPT. ChatGPT is the best soundboarding thought partner. It can brainstorm for you. Literally just ask it, say, this is what I've done. This is what I'm currently doing. This is what I actually want to do. Tell me all the ways in which all of my past experiences could actually be really beneficial for what I want to do. And it will just throw stuff out at you and get your brain going. And you're going, wow. And then that's totally fodder for interviews or pitching yourself or whatever. But uh, I think it's really important to remember that you can just bounce stuff off of chat like that if you're ever feeling stuck and it's really helpful.
0: I absolutely love that idea. What a great idea. I think that a lot of people are caught up in this, I call it the soft girl, but a lot of people are caught up in the, feeling like they don't have to work at all and they make all this money because of what people put online. And I'm a proponent for soft girl, but also it girl out there making the action. And I think it's a balance. And I think you need to lean into your soft girl so that you're not grinding and hustling. And that's not healthy either. But I look at what I did and I'm sure you can relate to where I realized I wanted to be a hypnotherapist. So, I was taking all of these courses, perfecting my skill, making sure I was excellent at what I do before I ever took a client, practicing, practicing, practicing with other people in my programs. At one point, because of where I was living and there wasn't a space in the house for me to have a quiet practice session, I would do my practice sessions in the car, in the garage. <laughs> Mm-hmm. practicing with other students in my course, doing hypnotherapy on them. And this was after working a nine to five, you know, so I would do my nine to five, I would eat dinner, go in the car from six to eight thirty, be practicing. If you need to put in that time and spend a year of your life or two years or six months or whatever that is really giving it, you're all figuring out what you want to do, whether that's courses or taking an internship on the side or a part-time just figuring it out, you will not regret it. Putting in that time of hustle or grind or whatever people say, obviously take take care of your mental health. But if you need to go, go, go for a short period of time so that you can set yourself up for a life where you're gonna be fulfilled, it's absolutely worth it.
1: Absolutely. And that is really one of the largest bases of confidence, of true confidence is getting the reps in, putting in the hard work, and being able to look back at yourself and go i've done some hard things like i've really done some hard things in preparation for this that's honestly one of the hugest things that you can do for real authentic confidence instead of in a negative way faking it till you make it you know what i mean
0: yeah and the faking it till you make it thing i think it can go both ways it's i don't think anyone because of the society we live in I don't think anyone since, because I really believe when we were born, we knew exactly who we were and we loved ourselves completely. And then as you grow up, we're like sponges. And if someone else is looking at themselves some way in the mirror saying, oh, I hate this about me. You go, oh, maybe I should hate that about me. Or you're not nervous, public speaking. How are you not nervous? And you go, maybe I should be nervous. So I think no one as an adult feels 100% confident without doing work on themselves. And that's totally fine to put yourself into what I say, upgrading your identity. So knowing that, okay, the person that I am, it's not changing who you are. It's upgrading into the identity of that you without the bullshit programming of I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not interesting enough. I'm not smart enough. It's, with, it's you without that. It's you at your core and you operating as that person before you fully feel that way. That's what I mean, at faking it till you make it. It's not faking anything because it's you, but it's just allowing yourself to practice being who you actually are instead of the person that you've been living as the past 20 years, which is keeping yourself small, sleepwalking through your life, going through the motions when you could be fully lit up, fulfilled and be who you truly are. and you just stepping into that until it actually feels like that's you, because it is you.
1: (laughs) Completely agree with that. And you know what that reminds me of? One of my favorite authors who does a lot of writing on identity work, his name is Benjamin Hardy. So if you are into the idea of identity and upgrading or refining your identity, definitely look him up. But I think that people get confused about the notion of authenticity sometimes. And just like you're saying, you know, we We grow up, number one, we grow up with a lot of limiting beliefs. And so I think when you get to this part in your journey where you're really trying to be authentic, it can be confusing sometimes, you know, because you can't tease out, well, what are the negative parts that I just picked up from everyone else in my life experiences? And what are the parts that are really, truly me? And what Benjamin Hardy said was authenticity, the authentic you is really just the you that you most believe in.
0: Oh, wow. I love that.
1: Again, coming full circle back to self awareness, understanding your values, understanding your aspirations, understanding how do you want to make people feel when they're around you? What do you want your reputation to be? What do you want your legacy to be? You need to get such a clear vision of that, something that you just wake up every morning and you're like, absolutely, yes, hell yes. I want to be that person. I want to work towards that person. That is the authentic you. That's who you most believe in. So, therefore, you can leave. You can choose what to keep and what to leave behind, and I think that that's also really important. Just because something has been with you for a long time doesn't mean that you're married to it. Doesn't mean that you're committed to it. You can you can choose to leave things behind and be like, okay, so you know maybe this developed for that reason. Maybe this served me at one point in time, but it's no longer serving me. So we're leaving that behind and we're
0: moving forward. I love that. What are some actionable steps of someone that goes, okay, this is me. I feel exactly this way. You're speaking exactly to me. What are some actionable steps they can do to become that office influencer?
1: Like I said, I always, always start with self-awareness and specifically self-awareness within a professional context. And the first thing I always give my clients to do, the very first exercise that we start with is priming yourself to have what is called alarm clock moments. Something else I always recommend to people is if you are looking for a place to start on your self-awareness journey on your own, there is a book that you need to get. It's by Tasha Urich and it's called Insight. And then there's a long subtitle to it, but Insight by Tasha Uric. She is the foremost researcher and scientist on the science of self-awareness. And she talks about this notion of alarm clock moments. And alarm clock moments is when you are just kind of going throughout your day and you have a very sudden moment of realization and clarity and you are seeing yourself from a different angle and you have had a realization about yourself and the way that you operate. So priming yourself to have those moments in your day-to-day life. And I think this really aligns with a lot of the stuff that you talk about, Caitlin, because you know, really the science of being lucky is pretty much just that lucky people look at the world differently. right? They see opportunities that were definitely already there that other people aren't seeing because of their mindset, because of the way that they are walking throughout the world. So when you wake up every day and you're you're going all into self-awareness in the work environment and you say, today I am ready to receive insights about myself. I am looking for them. I am thinking about myself in a different way. I'm getting outside of myself a little bit. Uh, noticing how I, noticing what my internal dialogue is, noticing how I am speaking to other people, maybe noticing my body language. We don't want to stay in this place forever, right? But a good couple weeks of just a concerted effort to becoming more aware of how you walk through the world can kickstart your journey like nothing else. So that is what I always, always recommend that people start with and really committing to that. So if you're listening to this, and you get that book commit to doing the exercises in it don't just skim it actually fully go all in and you will change more in you know a couple weeks or months than most people change in many many
0: years yeah wow i love that because like you said being lucky really is the mindset it's not some, you know, fairy coming up and saying, you're lucky boppity bippity boop or whatever. It's you deciding that you're lucky that everything works out for you and your subconscious mind will help you. It wants to help you. It will help you find evidence. It literally filters out because we're bombarded with millions of bits of information at any given moment. And I think it's 146 bits. We can only focus on at a time. I think it's 146 might be 126 doesn't matter. But your subconscious mind will filter out. Oh, she wants to look for opportunities where she feels wealthy. Okay. Then it will filter out and show you, oh, there's an opportunity for you to have this job or this promotion. Or if you took this step Your boss would see, oh, she deserves a promotion or whatever it is. It will help you. It filters out. So it wants to help. The thing that is blocking you right now is that your subconscious mind thinks it's helping you by keeping you safe, by keeping you small, because that is what has kept you alive in the past just because that's how you've been operating. But your subconscious mind wants to keep you alive, keep you safe. And what has what it thinks, perceives that being safe and good for you has been keeping you going throughout your life, doing the motions that you're already doing because, oh, it's she's stayed alive so far. So perfect, let's keep doing this.
1: Exactly. That so aligns with, in my coaching, I teach about, I, I like to use visualization. Visualization is really, really powerful for me. And there are a couple of different, walls that I teach about. So the first wall that we have is a wall that is really, really unhelpful for us. And when we are in that state of self-deprecation, putting ourselves down as kind of a classic insecurity, got to protect myself mechanism, that is your brick wall. That is your fortress. And what you're doing is you are trying to protect yourself from other people's judgments by announcing things before they can, but you're also blocking everything else out. So you're blocking out the things that you perceive to be bad, and you are also blocking out the sun, and you are also blocking out your opportunities for growth and all of that. So I think that you know when you when you visualize things as more of like a a clear garden gate, where you can still lock someone out of that garden gate. You're inside your beautiful garden. You've got your peace. Uh, you have the ability to decide who comes out and who, you know who comes in and who stays out. But you can still see the sun, you can still see through the uh, fence posts, you can still, you know, access those opportunities. And it's kind of a more a healthier way of looking at it.
0: Yeah, visualization is so powerful. I'm glad you use that because there's so many studies that show why that works. And that it works. There's a couple things I wanted to ask you from your content that is so powerful. And it obviously goes along with what we've been talking about. But how does being nice pull people back from succeeding in their career
1: yeah so i think one of the most important things to realize about being nice and when i talk to my clients about this sometimes they're absolutely mind blown niceness is not genuine niceness is not authentic you're actually not doing the other person a bunch of favors by being so nice niceness is a behavior that is based in fear and it's a behavior that is based in seller energy And it's based in over-responsibility for other people's emotions. This is really important. I think that most people who struggle with conflict and confidence, number one, do not take enough responsibility for regulating their own emotions and take too much responsibility for regulating other people's emotions. So going back to our discussion of energy, where are you pouring your energy into? When you're in a space of want to be nice, want to people please, you are pouring way too much energy into that other person. It's giving desperate. You're not pouring enough into regulating your own emotions that you might feel from the discomfort of just setting a boundary. And that is the biggest thing that stops people from setting boundaries is really just getting over that initial hump of the fear of discomfort. It will be uncomfortable for a minute, but, you know, you can be strong and kind at the same time. So we talked about the difference between niceness and kindness. You can set a boundary and not be an asshole to someone, you know, they ask you for something. They're like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm going through all of this and I, I really need you to do this. You don't have the capacity and say, I'm so sorry that you're going through that. I really am. I'm not able to take that on.
0: I'm sorry. Oh, mic drop.
1: They <laughs> lost. it's not like you told them to get lost. It's not like you told them to screw off. You're not being an asshole, but how you does, are strong and kind.
0: How does someone who hasn't been setting boundaries, they've had no boundaries or they thought they did, but they haven't been enforcing them, which I always say boundaries are as strong as your enforcement of them. How does someone start setting boundaries when they're the person that people go and dump their work that's not their job onto them? Because you do such a great job or you get it done in such a you know, quick amount of time. How does someone start putting those boundaries and enforcing them?
1: I think really taking a minute to examine your relationship with the amount of responsibility that you take on for other people's emotions and just kind of logically deconstructing that for a minute. You know, a lot of times people who struggle with boundaries in the workplace perceive the potential, you know, negative or the backlash to be a lot higher than it probably will be. And that's why when I work with high performers specifically, or just anyone who's ambitious, I always emphasize we got to go all in on making sure that the things that you do are done really, really well, because that is where your power and leverage comes from. So when you are rocking that part of your job, People might be annoyed in the moment that you put a boundary down, but at the end of the day, what are they really going to do? You're kicking ass. You're doing really well. And you can't kick ass and do really well unless you're putting some boundaries on your time, you know? And so that's when you need to kind of focus on what are the company's priorities? I'm going to put my time and effort into that. And if push comes to shove and it, it comes to a moment where you have to explain, just be like, well, aren't these our priorities? And didn't I do a really good job on that? So do you expect me to continue doing a really great job if I am just taking every single little thing that people want to dump on me? You can't gain that reputation as the office dumping ground. And when you're in that desperate energy, that seller energy, and you're a little too open and vulnerable with your ambition, people see that they can manipulate you just like you just said. Oh, this will be good for your career. This will be, I know you do such a good job you know, you have to kind of guard yourself a little bit against that, against the flattery and the ego component and the people pleasing part of that. Well, I want them to be happy with me. So I'll just go ahead and do it. You're diluting your own performance in doing that.
0: Yeah. What would you say? And I have some thoughts on this too, about if that's your boss doing that too, where he just is dumping, dumping, dumping on things that are not your job responsibility and you basically should be asking for a promotion if he's going to keep giving, or he or she is going to keep giving you all this extra work when you were hired to do one thing and now you're doing both things, (laughs) this and another job and not getting the compensation or the job title that reflect that work.
1: Yeah. So that's when we come to thinking about the business a little more holistically and value framing information based on who we're talking to. So if we're talking to our boss, and our boss is dumping all of this work on us. Number one, let's think about what is my boss responsible for? Honestly, what are, what are his, uh, his or her benchmarks for success? What are they worried about right now? Um, and how can I frame what I'm doing in terms of the company's priorities and in terms of their priorities and in terms of how they are measured? How can I frame this for them in a way that is going to speak to them and where they are at? instead of only me and where I am at. But when it comes to, absolutely, I mean, sometimes you have those conversations and you have them over and over and you reach point where you have to say, listen, this is what's happening. Either I am upgraded in some way to reflect the work that I'm doing. Um, Well, I don't recommend ever using ultimatums. I think that that actually kind of reduces your power. So usually if someone gets in that situation, I say, be be your best self, go out and start looking for other opportunities. Tell your current employer clearly what you want. Tell them repeatedly, tell them in writing, tell them in person, set that standard and then be ready to, if, if they're clearly just not going to appreciate you or not give you the type of growth that you're looking for, be ready to leave. Don't bluff ever in your career.
0: I love that. And I want to share, because we're talking about boundaries, and I think people will be thinking, okay, but I've let this go on for too long now. And that is the case where they might throw a tantrum if you set a boundary after six months or a year or three years of going through this behavior, basically, and not saying, no, there's a boundary here. But I just want to give an example because it's coming to top of mind. And I've mentioned I have worked in some unhealthy work environments in my past, which I wouldn't Stand for now. But when you're young, especially when it's your first job or one of your first jobs, there is that fear where I felt profoundly that if I leave now, I'm going to look like I can't hack it. Like on my resume, if people see I leave this job that is amazing on paper, like anyone would die to work there and I leave, then no one's going to hire me because she can't hack it. Obviously she doesn't have thick skin, which I think that thick skin thing has got to go anyway. We're humans, but that really petrified me. I worked in this job and I'm just going to be as like vague as possible, but I worked in this job where the person that had the position before me allowed, obviously didn't have boundaries and allowed this behavior That, in my opinion, was inappropriate. But when I got into the job, there was a million things going on. But one thing that I really wanted to put a boundary down because it felt very weird and uncomfortable for me. And it wasn't something that I was willing to continue for years and years, which was he expected to eat lunch with me every day. And I had to wait for him to eat lunch. And we have this courtyard where everyone eats lunch together. So, you know, you don't you can eat in your office, you can eat in the courtyard, you can go out for lunch. That's normal for any adult person working at a job. But he expected me to wait for him and eat with him every day. I found this to be really strange because he was also particular about who ate with us too. So it wasn't like just anyone can come and sit down at the table and he would make other people feel uncomfortable if they came to sit with us and would make little snide comments and this and that. But I felt this is my direct boss. So it was very uncomfortable for me. And I had been letting this go on for months, but I just knew I had to do something about it. So one day I went and ate with my friends that also worked for him and he came out saw that i was out there without him threw a tantrum like actually and like in front of other people obviously I'm freaking out internally, but I knew, okay, you know, if he fires me over not eating lunch with him, he fires me over not eating lunch with him. Like that's something I can live with because it's just the most ridiculous. And he threw a tantrum. He actually went home early that day, like in a rage, but the next day he didn't expect me to eat lunch with him. And he would come and eat with us sometimes, but he never again expected me to, have to eat lunch with him and it set the boundary. And I just obviously kept enforcing it. They might throw a tantrum, but your boundaries will be set and it will be uncomfortable. So uncomfortable (laughs) at first and awkward, but once it's set and you enforce it, it will be respected at some point.
1: Yes. You are so, so right. That is such a great story to exemplify that because it's so true that people, people who have kind of bully tendencies, they are often like they really are just looking to see how much you will take. And they want you to think that the consequences for not going along with what they want you to do are going to be high. Now, you know, of course, if you're ever in an actual abusive situation or anything like that, it's different. But oftentimes, most times with bully types or really demanding types like that, it's just what you said. You just have to do it once or twice. You just really have to show show your strength once or twice. And they're not used to that kind of pushback. And so, of course, they're going to be upset about it because they're not used to this type of behavior from you. But you have to weather that storm. And another visualization that I like to use Another one of my walls that is a tool for people is imagining yourself as a wall of mist. And the reason that I find that helpful is because, you know, there's those meditations who are like, imagine yourself as a strong mountain or imagine yourself as the ocean or something like that. I'm scared of the ocean. And I also, when I think of a mountain, which is very Tall and strong, but you can still like blow a mountain up with dynamite, you know. So for me, when I am in a situation where someone is blatantly disrespecting me, manipulating me, using a guilt trip on me, any of those things, picturing myself as a wall of mist is really helpful because there is absolutely nothing that you can do to hurt a wall of mist. There's nothing you can do. You can throw stuff at it. You can throw a stick of dynamite in there. There's nothing you can do. You're everything and everywhere all at once. You are calm. You are there. You are waiting for that person to cycle through their own emotions for which you are not not responsible, right? And you are able to depersonalize that person's reaction, which really is a personal problem. It's not your problem. So I find that to be really helpful in situations like that because it can be really nerve wracking. And I think that that's what stops a lot of people from being brave and taking that leap and, and taking the stand the first time.
0: That's an incredible visual. And that's so funny. I've never thought about someone being afraid of the ocean because I love the ocean so much, but that's yeah. good to know, especially for my meditations. I'm like thinking about oh, that. yeah.
1: I almost drowned in the ocean. I I literally experienced snorkeling. The ocean is not my vibe personally. Is it deep sea then? Or is
0: it are you okay on the shore?
1: I'm okay on the shore. I really don't even get in the surf a lot because of riptides. I actually had a near-death experience also in a riptide. So I've had two in the ocean and it's just like the suction action of the waves. It makes me feel very out of control. It's not my vibe.
0: That's really good to know. I'm thinking about all my meditations in the membership now. I'm like (laughs) more grounded ones in the earth because I love the ocean. I do have obviously ones that are not, but I love the sound of waves. So that is in a few of them. That's so funny. Good to know. Good to know. Uh, the last thing I want to ask you, and then I'll let you go because thank you so much for all of this. This is an amazing episode. How do you get over it when you make a mistake at work when you actually messed up, which is like the worst feeling when you feel embarrassed, ashamed, disappointed, and you are kind of mind spiraling over it and just can't seem to forgive yourself and move forward?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's really hard, especially if you are someone who just really gives a crap about your work you're really invested in your work and it's it's important to you the thing about shame is that there's initial there's appropriate initial shame and then there's the shame that lingers you know the initial rush of shame that you have when you you know say something you shouldn't have or do something that you shouldn't have that's a normal reaction and that's fine. But some people really get stuck in it and staying lingering and wallowing in shame is not productive for you at all. So you have to break that loop because when you're in a shame circle, it just, it just keeps going and it feels so bad. You have to do something drastic to break the loop and get off the hamster wheel, so to speak. So, something that, and I just posted about this the other day, an exercise that I use with my clients is called the podcast exercise, which is wild because we're doing that right now. But people have found this really, really helpful. So, the first thing that you're going to do is think of someone who inspires you, someone that you really look up to. Why do these people inspire us? What do inspirational people do that makes us love them? Well, number one, they're vulnerable. And number 2 they are evolved. They talk about the things that they struggled with, they talk about the mistakes that they made, and then they tell us how um you know how they got past that and they make us feel like that's possible for us too. So that's for priming. You have to, in order for you to get into a state where you can get out of the state that you're currently in, you have to visualize someone else who has already done that. And plenty of people have done that who have made just massive, I mean, people have cost their companies hundred, you know, a hundred thousand dollars before. It is something that you can recover from. You're going to think about someone who inspires you and then you're going to do something crazy. Okay. So if we got a, If we got to do something drastic to break the loop that we're currently in of thinking, oh my God, I'm just the worst, I'm just the worst, what's the farthest thing away from that that you could possibly think? What if you were also that inspirational person? So imagine yourself on a stage or on a podcast, or if that's not something you would ever do, just talking to someone that you really care about or would want to inspire and tell the story of this mistake from the perspective. Of that future version of you that has healed from this, that has evolved, and that now realizes why that mistake happened for you and not to you. So I find that a lot of my clients are people who consider themselves very empathetic people, very in tune um, with other people's feelings and always usually harder on themselves. So I find that for people like this, it may be easier for you to Take the perspective of someone who is you, but who's also kind of different because it's future you, right? So I think that that is something, an exercise that can really kind of help you get off of that hamster wheel because staying in that shame loop is is not healthy and it's not doing you any favors.
0: That's really cool. And I wonder too, if people can't get to the place of the inspiration, if they can just find humor in it first. And think about telling their best friend about it and, oh my God, listen, what happened to me? And finding humor That's- in it is, for me, that helps if I can just find like a crack, if that can crack me, like a little bit of humor. Okay, we can, we can move past this, you know? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And just remembering that some of the g- greatest, most big deal, inspirational people in the world have messed up, messed up really, really big. And they took that as a learning opportunity and moved forward. And, you know, there they are. So it's possible for you too.
0: Yeah, we all mess up. And I think that's why we're here on earth is to have a lot of fun (laughs) and to mess up, to walk through challenges that grow us into the people that are able to hold more, like hold more manifestations. Because I always say like, you you don't give $20,000 to an eight-year-old. They have no idea what to do with it. You have to be able to grow and hold your manifestations, be the people that can have it and not give it away, throw it away, not think that they're good enough, whatever. And that, that grows. Like you said, the confidence comes from, I can do hard things. I've done some hard things and look at me now I'm here. And I'm, if you think about to who you were just even three years ago, it's probably a completely different person.
1: 100% different. Yeah. I, that was a really interesting way to frame it. I like that. I'm going to have to think about that some more for sure.
0: Yay. Well, thank you so much for being here. I think there's so much gold in this episode. I can't even wait to hear what people think and the aha moments. Please, if you're listening, message me or Marissa or both of us and tell us what was your aha moment or what just really helped you if you were in a spot where you did just make a mistake at work and that really helped. We would absolutely love to hear it. Marissa, where can people find you online?
1: the Marissa Moyer on Instagram and TikTok. And then I linked to my LinkedIn on both of those pages, but I think I'm just Marissa Moyer on LinkedIn. And I love when people actually connect with me on LinkedIn and talk to me. So please feel free to connect versus follow. And thank you so much. I absolutely loved this, Caitlin. This was such a good conversation.
0: So good. I mean, I knew it was going to be good, but it was just so much better. How can people work with you?
1: Go to any of my social media channels or my LinkedIn, and I've got a link for that. So we can set up a consultation, we can talk, and see what we can do for you.
0: Okay, perfect. And then I want to mention in the membership, each month I launch something new. I drop something new. The price stays the same, but we always launch something new. And I'm really excited because a lot of people are manifesting their dream jobs in 2024. So February 1st is all about dream jobs. If you're manifesting one you'll have a hypnosis and an EFT to make sure that that's your reality this year. So if you're looking for a job, get in there. And if you want to be an office influencer, kick ass at work and everyone knows from your energy, go work with Marissa, follow all her content because it's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Bye guys.